to our podcast. This is Sevgi with Together We Stand. And I'm here with my dad, Dr. John Peter Joseph Fernandez I. And uh, I just want to quickly go over a couple of things. So um, Together We Stand is a national nonprofit, and we are dedicated to dismantling racism, discrimination, and police brutality nationwide. And we do that through legislation, advocacy, and education. Um, we have a pretty great show today. I need to put your code in. Sorry. Getting my dad uh, up with technology is always fun. Between the two of us, it's hilarious that we can even get online. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be talking about um, life under Trump's rule for uh, those of us who are uh, people of color, in particular um, African Americans. And um, we have an incredible panel with us today, um, and I'm going to give you a little introduction to each of them. Um, we have William Spivy. He is an awesome man. He's an incredible blogger, and um, he actually just did a piece on yours truly, which was really, really great, and um, I appreciated a great deal. Anything that we can do to bring awareness to the work that Together We Stand is doing is always a great thing. Um, so William uh, is a regular contributor to the Inner City News, where he writes about politics and popular culture. He also blogs as Enigma in Black, where he explores poetry, religion, politics, and all manner of things socially relevant. He is the founder of the Facebook pages Average Citizen Forum, Enigma in Black, and Strong Beginnings, the title of his soon-to-be-released political fiction romance novel. We have another William on the program today, so it should be interesting keeping y'all uh, apart. Um, William J. Jackson, he is a vocal and language artist from Pierce County, Washington State. He is a pro-labor leftist, environmentalist, and anti-capitalist, and hopes to contribute to taking resources from a profiteering system and redistributing them to micro-societies and socialist communities. Uh, his work, he is the host and producer for Wine Cellar Media webcast and podcast, curator for WineCellarMedia.com news, editor for The Reading in the Shade blog. He's a freelance rapper and independent news and punditry. Then we have Darren Scott. He is a longtime member of Together We Stand and uh, one of the most outspoken guys we have, and I always am following what he's got to say. Um, he's a former educator of history and cultural anthropology from Houston um, Tillotson University. He is now a golf instructor at Greens of Gold, and he is an activist in Dallas fighting for justice. Um, and lastly, but certainly not least, we have... Reverend April. Uh, Reverend April is an interfaith minister and a licensed clinical social worker in the San Francisco Bay Area with over two decades in the fields of mental health and child welfare. Uh, she's the founder of the Peace and Wellness Project and is now dedicated to honoring the diversity and unity of all beings 
Her commitment to social justice is reflected in her commitment to serving others with compassion and respect and supporting others in spiritual wellness. So there you have it. That is our panel. We are so lucky to have everybody on board today, and this is obviously going to be a pretty intense uh, conversation. seems that Trump, whenever he comes up, is a pretty polarizing <laughs> subject. Um, can everybody hear me? Welcome. Thank you. Yes, yes. I can hear you fine. Hello. Hey, everybody. Um, so uh, why don't we just jump right into it? Um, Trump's been uh, stirring stuff up from the beginning, but he's not even office yet. And we see um, just, in my opinion, some pretty frightening um times ahead of us, and I think that, um, you know, he, I don't think that necessarily all of America loves him, but I think that um, he has the popularity and the support that he has because uh, we've had a black president for eight years, and there's a whole lot of people that have been pretty pissed off about that. That's my personal opinion, Um, but I'm wondering, um, each of you want to sort of jump in and and say, has there been any um, anything in your personal professional lives that um, has sort of become a conflict because of the politics and because of Trump? I know that um, most of the people that I've talked to um, have lost friends and even stopped speaking with family members, et cetera, because, um, because they supported Trump in some way. And I'm wondering if any of you have had any experience like that and uh, jump on in if you can. Uh, this is uh, William uh, William J. Jackson here, um, and uh, I, I think that uh, it, it is it's something that could come down the line, right? Uh, I got a wicked echo. Is that showing up? Is that coming up on anyone else's feed? I have one. Okay. All right. Uh, so yeah, it, it could come down the line because with the um, uh, with the way Trump got all these uh, got all these uh, voters galvanized and um and just got so many uh, pieces in position to where they can do so much damage. If they do get done what they want to do with uh, social security, uh, then I can look at this job that I've been building for myself and watch that just go down the drain because. Then I will have to um, I'll have to start working, you know, like uh, probably like sixty-five or seventy hours a week in one job because uh, because my fiance gets social security for disability, and so like uh, so I'm 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 ready for this to affect me, and I'll and I'll just have to give up on building a career from the ground up with my social media. Yeah, but isn't he isn't he saying he's gonna come save all us poor black folks? <laughs> I mean, we're just poor, just destitute, angry, like, you know, violence-ridden folks, and he's coming to save the day. Just, I mean, we should be grateful, right? <laughs> what do you think, Dad? Well, this is what I will say. Um, when Ronald Reagan got elected back in 1980. I was an executive at Bell uh, of Pennsylvania. I was walking down the hall, uh, and four of my 
peers were coming, white male peers were coming the opposite direction. They bumped into me and said, now we white guys are in charge. Well, I don't think Ronald Reagan was as bad as uh, Donald Trump when it comes to the issues of race and immigration. But 20 years later, I'm walking down uh, through Dallas Airport on my way to the Philippines, and uh, Trump got elected, and uh, the attitude of white people who were supposedly serving me were, but some of them were hot. Not all of them, but it was like what happened 20 years ago. And that really, really concerns me because uh, I've written books that talk about if your leaders espouse violence and negativism, people pick that up. And I think it's been picked up tremendously. And so I'm very concerned about, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the next four years. Yeah. April, do you want to chime in here? Yes, I would. Um, you know, like everyone, I'm, I'm extremely concerned. And while I try not to live in fear, this is frightening. There's no question about it. This is very frightening. One thing, though, that I have observed is that prior to this, people were saying racism doesn't exist. Even though we had black men being shot with, with their arms up and, and black women dying mysteriously in the jail cells, people still wanted to make excuses for that and say, you know, but the racism doesn't make you don't there's no denying it now, uh, even from Trump supporters who say, you know, your lives never mattered, and they never will. Um, and so, if anything, I think the infection has surfaced so that we can all see it and so that people who were in denial about it uh, before can no longer deny it. And, and if they are, they're living under a rock, plain and simple. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and then there's those where it's really working for them, so, you know, they don't really have to look at it. And I would venture to say that, um, you know, good 49.9% of my family on one half, uh, certainly I don't think that's it. Um, and I, when I'm listening to you talk about that, what's coming to my mind is, um, you know, what is it going to do to our youth? You know, what uh, we already have, in my opinion, and I've worked with youth for the past 30 years, um, uh, inner city youth who are struggling, and most of them have been uh, youth of color. Um, there's a real sense of hopelessness that I see, and I don't see our children um, Dreaming, right? I mean, when I was a kid, you would, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was anything in the world. And um, I don't see that in our youth anymore. And I and I look at what uh, Trump is bringing to the table in this country, and I don't know how we're going to combat that in a way that um, can uplift our our youth and uh, sort of uh, 
counteract the negativity that they're witnessing and experiencing on a daily basis. Um, Aaron, do you want to jump in here? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> good evening. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Um, you know, I I personally, um, I'm a 70s baby, um, raised in the 80s, and now that I see that Trump has taken over or is going to be the president, remember the day after the election and all of the, or the few days after the election, all of the violence and all of the hate and all of that, and you said something earlier about coming off the heels of the presidency of Obama. This now has just allowed white people, in essence, to say everything that they've been wanting to say and do. Um, which, as you can tell myself on Facebook, I mean, some of the things that I post, basically to get a response from people. Um, People are people are becoming more and more bold, just brash and bold with what they do and what they say, and so it's it's it's, it's a, a symptom of what Donald Trump has laid out for them, and so I don't see it getting any better. It'll get worse before it gets better. Let me say that. And as you had mentioned, the youth of today, I work, I work with a lot of youth here in Dallas, and it's 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 sad to say, but you nailed it in saying. They don't dream, you know. Um, the young lady that spoke earlier said that uh, there's a level of fear. Well, I'm fearful, but I'm not fearful of him, per se. I'm fearful of his ignorance that he perpetuates, yeah. and then well, people pick that up, and they want to do the same things that he does and say the same things that he says, and it'll get worse before it gets better. So I think what what we should do or what we need to do as activists and people that want to see change is you've got to battle that uh, that ignorance with intelligence, basically. Um, I had a, a long post on my Facebook page yesterday that was ridiculously long because this one lady uh, that I've known, we've been friends for 23 years, and she came in and we, we tried to go crazy on me, but, you know, I don't don't play too many games on Facebook, but um, <laughs> I, I gave her the business. And then it wasn't that I that I tried to embarrass her. She embarrassed herself. And then the people that responded to her were seeing her as a racist just based on what she was seeing. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll falter. Um, those people that believe all the rhetoric and all the just BS that Donald Trump you. And they'll expose themselves. And once they expose themselves, me, me, for instance, I can't show them any mercy. I can't the tears, the uh, the woe is me. I can't show them any any mercy. And uh, so that's what we have to we have to we have to tag that back with intelligence, basically, is what I'm doing. I absolutely agree. I want to, William, maybe I'm gonna get to you. Give me one second. I want to take a call, if that's okay with you guys. Um, and I'm going to bring on uh, Kim Young. She is an incredible force to be reckoned with in the social justice scene up in uh, Superior, Wisconsin. And uh, Kim is a community and human rights activist and the executive coordinator of the Superior African Heritage Community Organization. 
and uh, politics off my body. Kim, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Welcome, sister. How are you? I'm doing fine. Got a little bit of a cold, but we got to persevere. There you go. Well, you want to jump in here and, and let us know what your thoughts are on all this? Well, I, you know, I agree with everybody and everything that's been said so far about the overboldness that is being presented now in the community. Um, there's a lack of courtesy that has just erupted in um, society at this moment, and I felt it since the day after Trump's election. You can go out, I mean, even going to the grocery store when I'm doing advocacy in the community, unless it's an awoke person of Caucasian persuasion that is understanding why we are afraid now that Trump has been elected, why we are worried that 54% of white America voted to side with white supremacy, there is a lack of courtesy. And you feel that. You feel a lack of respect now. Mistakes. And yes, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to go. You know, I'm afraid as an advocate that I'm, I'm sitting very exposed to this now more than ever. You know, and that, that shows the climate change. Where I was just, even a, a, two short months ago, I felt, you know, I was afraid to be in, the, in these streets, but I wasn't afraid to the point that I felt anybody would come for my family or attack my children at school, that they would be attacked by other children in their school rooms, you know. Um, so, yeah, there is a there is a, a perversion, I would say, of the human respect for each other that has come down. And I see this especially now that there's been this latest, and there's no other way to call this but a hate crime. That's happened with these four teenagers in Chicago, and we're right. comparing it now to this young football player who assaulted this um, mentally challenged teammate. It said that was a hate crime, and we're seeing very clearly the disparity and the uh, disallowment of equal justice and equal equity, which is what's going on with that. Um, social media is responding to it. Um, the culture and the climate here at Superior is responding to it. I just had a very serious um, conversation with some people the other day about the implications of calling one a hate crime and one not a hate crime when they were both very selective with the persons with whom these crimes were perpetrated against. These people were very selective. They were not mentally challenged people of specific races for specific reasons and to do specific harm to them. Those are hate crimes. And they are racial, racial, racism is involved in them. They are hate crimes against humanity. And I think that's the justification that everybody is missing, that these are hate crimes against humanity, not just a white boy, not just a black boy. These are hate crimes against us as human beings. And I only see that getting worse with Trump's rhetoric, with his lack of foreign policy, with his lack of expertise, and his lack of being able to present himself in a clear, concise manner. He's a businessman. All he's in it for is the bottom line, that network of white supremacy. He's there for that. He's a commercialized person. He has no idea what he's doing, and I can only see this getting worse as he begins to um, renege on promises to his constituents and to continue to try to help the black community. He's going to help us into early grades is what I think. Uh, yes, he is. Bradley. 
You know, um, one of the things that I think is important from a historical perspective, back in the 90s, Germany was having uh, lots of problems with being attacked, et cetera, because they felt there were too many Turks there and what have you. And the government leadership took a very weak position. The only time that changed was when a Turkish grandmother Five of her young grandchildren's house got burnt down by the right-wing people. And then Germany began to take stands, and they began to pass hate laws. I believe in freedom of speech and all of that, but when it comes to hating, thousand hatred and all of that, I take a stand against that. Uh, you know, I don't... People do not have a right to go around and preach violence and hatred towards people based on any demographic, you know? And uh, ultimately, I think we're going to have to get there because the white population in this country is very concerned about how it's becoming brown. They think it just happened. But, you know, uh, my grandparents came here in 1913, and we were racially mixed. And so, you know, there's been a lot of browning of America going way back, and it just didn't happen today. But I think if leaders do not take a strong stand for the rights of humans, you know, we're going to have, um, uh, there's going to be much more violence, et cetera, you know, much more. I'm going to ask the Everybody on the line, that if you are not speaking, can you mute your phone if at all possible? I think that might help with our reception issues just because we have a big panel today. And um, I wanted to pull you in, William Spivy. Uh, you've been patiently listening. Uh, what would you like to contribute? Well, I'd like to say that uh, I think that what we're seeing is not all just associated with Trump. It existed long before him, but I think Trump helped expose it. I think we're seeing a lot of white lash or backlash from the Obama election where a number of, of our white Americans could not stand the fact of having a black president. And their reaction to that was to give themselves permission to uh, obstruct everything he tried to do. When you hear the talk about the lack of political correctness, that was that can be translated as giving themselves permission to openly be racist and just call it not being politically correct. And, you know, you've got Fox News and Breitbart and right-wing media and trying to delegitimize the black president. And I think this last election was as much a rejection of the black president as it was a rejection of Hillary Clinton, even though she won the popular vote. And when you add to that voter suppression, and, you know, that I think it's the attempt, which in this case was a successful attempt, of white people to retain power in what is becoming increasingly a demographic not working in their favor. Absolutely could not agree with you more. And, you know, um, Kim was discussing this case in Chicago that I'm pretty sure everybody's heard about at this point. Um, with the four black teenagers literally torturing this mentally um, challenged um, 
white teenager, and you know, there's been a lot of debate going back and forth. And and uh, she brought up the other case where the the white athlete, you know, totally and completely uh, violated a mentally ill black um, teammate. And you know, we <laughs> there's so much wrong with how these things are being dealt with. I mean, in my line of work, with Together We Stand, I mean, we fight on a daily basis for families who have literally come up against um, the worst type of uh, racism, um, and uh, that's losing, you know, their families and loved ones' lives to uh, police officers. And... um, you know, I'm I'm looking at this, and I was actually having a discussion with my husband on this Chicago case the other night, and and you know, it, it's sort of the same thing. Uh, it, it had it had the roles been reversed, and it was four um, white kids torturing a black kid, um, we would hear like we hear on CNN or Fox News, and you know, well, what happened before the video? Right, we didn't see what happened before the video that could have prompted them to do this. There's always like an excuse um, being made, just like when uh, the officer in Oklahoma, you know, Eddie, I can't remember her last name, you know, shot. Uh, God, and I can't even remember off the top of my head. Man, the gosh, I could go too many of these in my head at one time. But it was, oh well, we don't know what happened. You know, there could have been something in the video that we missed. I mean, there's always that narrative going on when it's when when it's a black victim, when it's a white victim, it's you know, swift justice. You know, swift justice, and um, it's pretty disturbing. It's pretty disturbing. Um, hi, Facebook. Hey, everybody that's watching and listening. Thank you for joining us. Um, so we have a lot of movements that seem to be going on uh, to try to combat Trump. You know, we've got a march on Washington, women's march on Washington after the inauguration. I'm wondering uh, what each of you think uh, we need to focus on um, as leaders in our communities and as far as what we can do to combat what's clearly coming um, under this man, which is um, much more racial intolerance. We've got whole sections of the population who are frightened and at risk. I mean, we have certainly um, are going to see continual uh, continued issues with our police force and uh, people of color, in particular African Americans, but Native Americans. I mean, it happens to all of us. Um, but you know, what else? What can we do? What else can we do? I mean, we have him talking about making all Muslims register. Um, it's insane, you know. We have him talking about deporting millions of people and splitting up families. It's insane, and you know, I posted another day, the other day that there are churches across the country who are becoming sanctuaries, and that's one thing that I'm going to continue to promote and make people aware of on our social media platforms. And I think that's a 
a great resource that we have and something that everybody can sort of get behind and offering to our immigrant communities. But I'm wondering what else you guys think that we can do as we prepare to combat uh, what's coming. Well, for my small community up here, and I say small because I'm in Superior, Wisconsin, which is the sister city, basically, the other half, the twin port of Duluth, Minnesota, and Superior, Wisconsin. And we were already seeing the effects of overt racism in our community with some remarks that were made towards the Muslim community and our first lady, uh, our mayor, last December. He since resigned his, his, resigned his office, and we have an election coming up here in in April to elect a new progressive mayor. Well, one of the things I've been, been really hard pushing in the community is for our community members, especially our community of color, to get out and hear what these people that are running for mayor for our city are planning on doing about diversifying our small community. Our demographic here is so small, we are about 1.3% of the population. And our demographic is so stressed that right at this very moment, our demographic is exactly personified in our inmate population, in our school population here. That's very bad. You know, that's, that's a very, very high discrepancy. Um, in our in our area, especially when it comes to recidivism rates, when it comes to referral and detention rates for our children, and we've been trying to come down against it. We have five mayoral candidates right now. Not one of them is black. One is a woman. And out of all of those, the Superior African Heritage Community asked them a body of questions on social media and that, that none of them have really answered in their platforms. And the main items we asked about were diversity and retention of our graduates from the University of Wisconsin system that are in our area of color, about equal housing, about second chance um, policies towards ex-felons, towards um, people who have housing issues in our community, including domestic violence victims of color. Um, ex-addicts of color, ex-fellers of color who are trying to get back into um, being productive citizens and are allowed, and are allowed those chances in our community. Not one of them to date has satisfactorily answered any of those. They have good working platforms, but nothing definitive. Not one of them has come forward with any plan to integrate their offices to reach out to the communities of color, including the Native American community, the black community, the Asian community, and the Hispanic community, which are, you know, up and coming here. They're growing. The African heritage community population is dwindling. And I mean dwindling. In fact, we're probably losing two to five families a year here because of racism, because of lack of opportunity. So that's one of the things I've been pushing hard for is to make that reform change because we knew we needed it when our mayor came out and made those blatant remarks and was very unapologetic about them. And we knew we could not trust him to hold every person in his community's interest in his hands. So now we need a mayor in our community that is going to take those responsibilities serious of everybody in our community. And that means putting forth um, implementation that's going to help all communities to develop and grow at the same rate as the white community here. Now, I think that you touched on a good thing. Is you, And I remember when uh, the mayor 
made those remarks, and I remember watching you launch a one-woman campaign against him. <laughs> and I, I think that, and uh, we have Byron Durham on Facebook saying, you know, we've got to work locally, and they're working on that in Chicago. And I think that's that's it. I mean, we can't necessarily uh, take on the federal government. We can't take on Trump per se, but um, we each have a responsibility within our local communities to know who our elected officials are and to put pressure on them for programs that um, uplift the citizens in the community. And I think that uh, we often forget that. And one of the things that we're really trying to focus on uh, this year um, is starting a youth social justice program here in the San Francisco Bay Area where we uh, are teaching our children, our high school students, how to actually affect change on a local and state level. Um, and I think that a lot of people don't know how to do that and they don't think that they can really affect change. Um, and it's up to us uh, who are already, you know, have that knowledge to sort of get out there, teach them, um, and and bring our communities up. I think that uh, sitting on our asses is no longer a choice that anyone can make. I would I'd like to bring in another perspective, hopefully, and that is we talked about the the people who have needs. I think there's a lot of damage being done on a regular basis. But those people who have gone out, have not been in trouble, who got their education, who tried to work and all of that, and they're discriminated against in these very subtle ways. And I think we need to begin to focus on those individuals also. Having said that, I would also say those individuals who have been able to achieve certain things within the society, they can't sit on their butts and say, well, I got mine, you get yours. Because I've heard a lot of black and Hispanic and Asians talk like that, you know. And I just think that, you know, over the years, the reason we can talk the way we are today is because of people in the 50s and 60s and even earlier who have fought to overcome these these problems. And they're not going to change. People will not change unless they have a reason to change. And if no one's putting pressure on them, they're not going to change. Coming from a man who was uh, guarding the houses of black folks in Boston when they were desegregating the, the neighborhoods. Standing out there with his AK-47, Black Panther dad, doing his thing. But, you know, I mean, we are getting to the point where uh, we we really need to step up in pretty significant ways. Um, uh, we have uh, another caller on the line I'm going to take real quick. Hello. Hello. Can you hear us? Hello. Hello. Yes. Who are we speaking I'm sorry. With? Um, I'm from Ontario. Okay. Hello. 
Okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you. I have a teacher. I got one of those great Obama phones, and it works great. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, well, what we all could do is just uh, to just give this guy, you know, let's give Trump a chance. Um, I, I, you say something. You say something about being in the Bay Area, right? Up in Frisco. Yes. Yes. Well, that right up there, like our biggest challenge is is for California just to get along with the program and and you know uh, stop making these laws that happen that the rest of the union doesn't have to follow. And uh, to just stick with what Trump's going to help us out. Um, for example? Well, for example, I mean, he's going to help us well thing with the jobs and everything, but take some of those laws that um, Obama had started and it's just demolish everything. Let's start off with the clean slate. Uh, what name three of those laws Obama started? Uh, what, what, what programs yeah. did he start? Oh well, yeah. you start yeah. with okay. Let's, let's start with the health care. Let's get rid of that. Well, not that's just okay. Since he started this program, it, it doesn't work. So we're gonna have to find a way to make it work. Unfortunately, I'm involved in it, and it, it doesn't, doesn't work. What, what specifically is not working? Well, what doesn't work was is that uh, to pick your doctor, you, you get a choice of a doctor. So you don't even know who they are, and after you have them, excuse me. Isn't that up to you to pick your doctor? Well, I get I get like a, a list of doctors I can I can accept, but I I don't even know who these people are. All right, well, that, well that, that's that's anecdotal evidence. Like, have you conducted a study to where you know that um that there is a significant percentage of people that are not uh, selecting their doctors? How did you empirically arrive at this conclusion? Well, I'm I'm involved in it. In what uh, again, I had to get health care. I didn't want to, but I, I was, you know, I was mandated to get it. You were mandated? I, I don't, I I don't like that. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, we were mandated. Everyone must have a doctor right now. You have to have, you have, to have medical insurance or you get uh, taxed or fine. You get a fine for it if you don't have it. All right, but you still have not answered the question to how you have arrived at the uh, conclusion with empirical data that no one is selecting their doctors. Yes, you did give um, an anecdotal claim that you've backed up with zero evidence, but uh, how did you arrive at that conclusion? What study did you conduct? Well, I didn't collect no study. Oh, you didn't? Well, well no, why would I want to do that? I, I don't have to if I'm involved in it. I don't get Why would I collect a study? So you're just looking at yourself and not past yourself, which is, you know, unfortunately, you what too much of America. Well, people I would ask if I was to ask and have a study. I'm one thing I don't speak English, so my people that I want I want to participate, I wouldn't understand what they're going to tell me because half of them, or probably like three quarters of them, don't even speak English and they have it. You're having a tough time here. It's hard to troll people that are smarter than you, isn't it? You want to hang up now, son? <laughs> Well, thank you. We tried to give you an opportunity to say something intelligent, but it just didn't quite work out for you. So have a good one. Bye. That's the problem right there, people. Yeah, there you go. Individuals, and we don't look at the big picture. Exactly. I mean, I'll tell you something. Before Obamacare, I could not get insurance because I had a pre-existing condition. When I was 21 years old, I was crossing the street 
I got hit by a motorcycle. It shattered my hip, shattered my femur, and for years I could not get medical coverage because I had a pre-existing condition. So, I mean, we're not going to give that guy any more time, but he's a good example, which is why I didn't hang up right away. It's a good example of what we're dealing with in a huge portion of people in this country. There's ignorance. There's self-absorption. They don't see past what's happening right here with them in that moment. They don't have any sort of um, intellect to look past that and, you know, this is The first thing I want to just recognize is that fear and ignorance are parasitic. I wouldn't expect that gentleman to know what empirical data is or, or understand anything that's being talked about right now. But what I also want to point out is that um, this election, and I'm not just talking about Trump, I'm, I'm talking about our Congress and, and, and everyone that, that's uh, involved in, in, in this <laughs> on a federal level, a state level, etc. But this is, in, this is divided white people. And I think it's, it's noteworthy that you have very ignorant white people living in fear and you have those who are wondering what just happened. But aside from that, you also have people of color, and this is mentioned, but you have people of color who participated in getting this man in office. You, If, if you've ever read the opinions of Clarence Thomas, some of them are really quite frightening. Many of them are. If, you, if you've ever listen to Ward Connerly or or you know other people of color or who appear as people of color outwardly you will just recognize that there there really isn't much of a difference if any difference at all between those folks and some of the ignorance that we that we hear so commonly with white people even scarier with the man that we just heard so you know, to answer the question, what what did what do we do? I think there's so many angles that we can we can use to to combat this thing. And I will also go in that I do think that we can challenge the federal government just as open carry fanatics challenge the federal government. Um, the consequences will be harsher most definitely, because many of us are not recognized as human, we're recognized as subhuman, and that pipeline to prison was put into place for a reason. Um, hence the reason you have four young people being charged with hate crimes, et cetera, and white young people who aren't, and they're not going to have this go on their record. Um, that aside, um, my role is to recognize, as a minister that is, my goal is to really recognize that we are not separate. We're all of a divine source, if you will. Some people recognize that, some people don't. And this is kind of hard sometimes for me to even um, hold as a human being because there is so much out there that's parasitic. 
but I must. I must recognize that there are people who look at other people and say, you are not as good as me. And some of those people are people of color. I've heard them in my work as a social worker. I've heard African-American police officers say, I'm voting Republican because those people are getting away with a lot, and those people don't deserve the green. I've heard attorneys of color say, you know what, we can deal with this and cut the cut cost to the taxpayers. How much is a bullet? Let's just take a bullet and blow this person's brains all out right now. That is hatred and the worst kind of hatred, and that is the talk that occurs before there is any evidence, before there are any interviews before it has been determined that a crime has been committed and it is most often applied to people of color. Um, So, you know, what is my role? What do I do? Sometimes um, part of my job is to go to court, interact with judges and attorneys, and sometimes what I do is go in early, especially when I know I'm going to have a challenging I sit in the courtroom in prayer and meditation. And some people might say, yeah, yeah, you know, what does that do? Believe it or not, that does a lot. Um, I am of the belief that two or more are gathered. You can do wonders with that. And, it's, and it starts there for many of us who don't know what to do. Um, as, as a social justice uh, activist, um, I'm getting out there. I'm opening doors for people who say, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to talk about this, and I want to do something. The doors are open. I'm speaking. I'm going out there and speaking, but I'm not afraid to go out there in the streets and say, no, you can't do this. I'm not afraid to die, so you can put your gun at me if you want. This needs to stop. I realize that they're going to be hazardous. That shouldn't stop us from saying to the federal government, this is not okay and this must must change now, right now. I think that's absolutely right and a beautiful thing. And it's a sad reality that um, in order to make this stop, lives very well will be lost, you know. I mean, it's frightening. We did a podcast last week on a case in Louisiana, and I, I've i been getting um, pretty threatening phone calls for about a month now straight, and it's happened before, but, I mean, it kind of comes with the territory. And, you know, as a mom of three, I don't want to ever have to leave my children behind. Um, But there comes a point that you just, I mean, you can't hide in fear, and you have to stand up and do what's right. And um, I I really love that you're out there giving people an opportunity to figure out how to start. I think that's a huge thing, that that there are a ton of people out there that really do want to do something and don't have a clue how to do it. And... um, you know, a couple of years ago, I had no clue. I just have been feeling my way through it and um, 
been fortunate enough to get to know a lot of great people who have helped me along the way. I think that's sort of what we all have to do for one another. Um, hey, uh, Darren, William, Vivi, do you want to jump in here a little bit more? What? Do actually. Yeah, this, is this. Oh, this is Darren again. I just wanted to say uh, real quick. You have to have to get out there and make change in that way. First and foremost. Secondly, you know, an individual accomplishment such as a police officer doing something bad, and I force the issue to get him fired. That's minimal. That's minimal. Because the system is what is, is so corrupt and so bad. We have to make an example. And, I, you know, I've said it before, I'm not above shaming someone into defeat. I'm not, I'm not above that. Because if I'm still, you know, I, I look at it like this. I'm still fighting for the same rights and the same justice as my great-great-grandparents were fighting for over 100 years ago. So if you can't see me and what I'm saying, uh, as 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 truth and 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 what I'm living, you know, and and I, I live I live a decent life, but I'm just saying there are other people out there that have the same skin color as myself that are not, you know. I leave. I I, I, I told the story before. I left my my subdivision and get pulled over by the cops 25 times in two years. If I were a 22 year old black man sitting in a, a Crown Vic, sitting on 22-inch rim, what are in jail by me? But I'm a 47-year-old man, educated a little bit, you know, um, and, and and I know how to hope, carry myself in hopes that I don't get shot by the police. So the problem, as, as, as we're taking, as we're accomplishing things on a minimal scale, you know, the big picture is we have to force, force, this system back down in throats. I mean, this is a system that they've created. And we it's are just exactly how they expect they it was created to work. It's working perfectly. perfectly <laughs> for them. Yes, it's working perfectly. Perfectly for them. But see, that's the thing is I'm I'm beyond making people comfortable. I'm beyond like I said earlier, the tears and all of that. How unfair it is for them. I'm looking out for I'm looking out for these you know, these kids that are coming up, these millennials even, the kids that are coming up and, and are going to be my age in 20 years, you know, they, you know, they, like you said earlier, Segby, they, they, uh, they don't dream anymore. They don't dream to, to be successful because of the fear, the level of fear that's out there before them. So, you know, we, we have to attack the bigger picture, the system is what is, is failing everybody. Why people don't see it because they're still on top of that system. But we have to attack that system and break that system. And, Sadie, totally I'd like agree. to add that yeah. we need to take this fight to a number of levels. We talked about uh, fighting locally. We need to fight locally, nationally, and globally because what's going on in America is happening in, in Europe and other parts of the world as well. You look at Brexit, and we have to fight unjust laws. We have to fight uh, people that are required to be you know, approved, like the uh, confirmations of Jeff Sessions as the Attorney General, uh, who reminds me very much of Bull Connor. And 
I think we need to look at our gifts for the people out there in the in the audience listening. You know, look at your own gifts. If you're a person that that blogs or writes, you know, to communicate to other people and let people know what's going on and what's what's happening. I think one of the panelists is a historian. When people try to change history to lessen the impact of slavery and things like that, we need to stand up and say, no, that's not what happened. When uh, you know, we need to to fight based on our own gifts. You know, do what you can and identify you know what it is that you can bring to the table and you know fight a battle that you can fight personally that i i think that's an important point because again i will say everyone can see and get outraged about uh a young black person being shot beat up arrested that's obvious what isn't obvious is that amount of discrimination that still goes on in our society in very subtle ways, and they have very negative impacts on people. You take the medical industry. There have been studies done over and over and over again where it says that so-called open-minded doctors, when it comes to a black patient, has subtle issues of racism that impacts their decisions sometimes about how they treat that patient. Well, if that happens with you and you have a serious illness and your doctor misdiagnoses it because of your race, you can die. So there are lots and lots of things that go on that people need to focus on. I agree. I actually did my master's thesis on... uh effects of racism and poverty on the mental health care system, and um, it was pretty, I mean, I knew to some extent how bad it was, but uh, it was an extreme, extreme eye-opener. We have, uh, you know, our implicit biases affect how we deal with people on a a daily basis, Um, and Study after study after study after study has shown that um, a black person presenting with the same uh, issues, same um, symptoms, uh, is many, many, many times over uh, diagnosed with a more aggressive um, mental health issue. Um, um, it's it, it's more pathological. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and um, that's frightening. That's frightening. That simply because of the color of your skin, you cannot get a correct diagnosis. And I, because of that, the data shows that people of color, and particularly, I looked at, at African Americans, don't go to get help, especially mental health care. Because they are fearful of the system, fearful of, um, and rightly so, a system that will judge them uh, based on their color rather than what they are dealing with. And that's that's just um, unacceptable. But as Darren said, this is a system that has been in place a long time. It's doing exactly what it was meant to do on many levels. We've got our educational system, you know, school-to-prison pipeline, 
uh, that's in place, and they're making a ton of money in their prisons. Uh, we've got health care, mental health care, you name it. And um, and William, you're correct that you know this is going on across the globe. It's not just here, and uh, we do need to attack it. And that's part of what we try to do with Together We Stand is to bring all people of color together and our white allies because we've existed in such a divisive sort of manner for so long. And that's essentially been put in place by um, the elite white, white um, population. If we are divided, Hispanics are over here, the blacks are over here, Native Americans are over here, Asians are over here, um, and we don't come together then our voices are like this. And I'm constantly preaching this, I realize. Um, so I'm going to harass everybody until they get it. Um, <laughs> we must come together because then our voices are extraordinarily powerful and uh, we can move mountains. Um, I think it's just essential that we really always keep in mind that uh, these barriers that have been put in place are 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 truly um, things that we actually keep uh, going, and we have the power to to break them down. So, um, William Jackson, do you want to jump in here anymore? Uh, yes, and um, uh, uh, po uh, pointing back to that um, that empathy gap, uh, two of the sources of study uh, for that were the uh, University of Virginia and the University of Minnesota, and I don't remember the um, university in the UK that also conducted a study. But yes, yeah, study on top of study, and, you can, and folks can actually go uh, look at the evidence of that uh, that empathy gap in the medical system. Now, um, uh, thinking about like like acting locally, right? Like, well, like like where am I? I haven't lived like in a like black community. Like I'm talking about like in proximity. Like I haven't lived in a black community in a long time. Like even right now, as I'm in Illinois, I'm in the 14th congressional district, blood red, petty bourgeois. These rich white people don't need any help. You know, like we're like we're in kind of a little blue collar corner of it, but. There, there isn't really much that you can do to, to help these people, like hold the door open for them and, and say, yes, sir. You know, you can't do anything. There's nothing for these people. So you, you look at um, what the net neutrality that we have left on the Internet and how we can connect with each other through uh, privately owned social media, and, um, and we can find each other. And uh, so something that um, my fiancé and I are planning to do with some other um, anti-capitalist leftists is um, our first act will be to copy what a group called the Secular Sisters did out in Washington, D.C., and their, their drive was called Pads and Pawns um, to get, um, like, uh, you know, like, like women's, uh, like, menstrual cycle supplies to homeless women and really poor women, and it was a, and it was a darn good drive. You know, they raised over $10,000, and they helped out a lot of women in, in homeless shelters and on the street and whatnot. And, you know, and then there's uh, organizations like SWAP, uh, SWOP, Sex Workers Outreach uh, Project, and, um, and they do things like they get sex workers uh, like condoms and whatnot. 
And so, yeah, so we're, we're going to uh, we're going to mirror what the secular sisters did and do a pads and ponds drive, and by uh, by raising the funds by using privately owned social media with a little bit of net neutrality that we still have left. And so, so I, I, I don't I don't have to worry about the fact that I'm not like living in the community to work in the community. Like I I can use that internet connection to work within the community because you know Chicago is just a drive away from where we are in Warrenville. And so we can go out there and, and, and do that drive and take those funds and help some folks out. Uh, so there are things we can do like that. So, like, there, there is, you know, I mean, we call, we, we'll call it activism now, but I'd rather see that just the, the, the system of how we function is just helping each other. Like that, that, that shouldn't be weird, right? Like that, that shouldn't, that should just be normal. <laughs> that shouldn't need a name. What a thought, right? Yeah. We've lost our humanity in, in so many ways, and, and we've been so individualistic for so long that it, it it does sound odd and like a strange thing that, oh, gosh, we could just actually just look out for one another, help one another. Um, that's an excellent thing that you're doing and a great uh, example for folks to hear about. I, I think the more uh, options we give people, the more avenues that they have that they can get involved, the better, you know. And I always preach that there's always something you can do, even if you're stuck in your house, um, to help sign a petition, you know, call on behalf of a cause. There's just very easy things that you can do if you're not capable of getting out there in a more aggressive aggressive way, Um Yes, you know, and, the, and there's outlets like Democracy Now and whatnot, and you can go to them or like um or broadcasters like Tom Hartman who you know, and he's kind of a sellout. I get it, but you know Tom Hartman or uh, or Jay Tomlinson, you can go to folks, <laughs> and you can go to some of these folks, and you can get list of. Uh, of like like who's your congressperson because and I don't shame people for not knowing that you know like people have to go sell their labor you know for uh, for unfair compensation just to try to pay their bills on time and people are exhausted not everyone knows who their congress critters are and who their senate scum is or who their city council is or who's on their school board like my it's it's exhausting I you gonna memorize all these people but you can go get these lists through some of these uh, independent media outlets so that you know who to call like um uh, there's a a a, a woman's a, a, a woman's organization in Florida where they um they do large email blasts and they're like all right the state senate's about to vote on this call them and tell them that you will vote against them in the next primary if they dare vote yes on that and then they do that and they get some bad bills shut down preemptively you know, so yeah, that is something that you can do because we are like let's speak to ableism here, and not everybody can um, figuratively put the proverbial boots on the ground. You know, so that that is something that one can do from the uh, from the chair. And I'll plug what we've got going on. We have uh, one of our PWS warriors that's been on the ground in Washington D.C. across the White House. Stalking Obama <laughs> for like two months now, trying to secure the compassionate uh, clemency of Leonard Peltier. And uh, we're asking everybody, it's very simple to send an email 
asking Obama to grant him clemency. Very easy, just to make a quick phone call. Um, Does everyone know who he is? Um, probably not. If you don't know who Leonard Peltier is, he is an incredible um, American Indian activist. He's been in prison falsely uh, for over 40 years for uh, killing of two uh, white uh, FBI agents, but he is clearly innocent. Amnesty International is behind him. Um, just countless, countless people have come forth on his behalf. Uh, and he is in prison uh, dying of diabetes. He's not getting the proper care. And uh, if he does not get released before Trump, or before Trump takes office, it's, it's simply not going to happen. Um, and you can visit our website, togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com, and read up more on it. And uh, if you want to join the vigil that we have across from the White House, uh, you can sign up on our volunteer page, and uh, someone will get back to you within 24 hours. Uh, we have only uh, a couple weeks left, and um, I want to shout out to Nolan, who's in our one-man army out there um, and just basically stopped his entire life to try to save another man whom he's never met. And that's amazing. You know, he's out there in the freezing cold in Washington, D.C., and this is a Southern California boy, people. So, anyways, there's, you are correct. And I think that I will try to make sure that we get some of those um, websites up on our Page so that people can access them there um, as well. Thank you for bringing that up, William. Yes. Yes. Uh, just uh, a note. William Spivey, that name sounds very familiar. I think we knew each other years ago. Is that how you pronounce hmm. your last name, William? Uh, it's, it's Spivey. Most everybody else would be Spivey. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> Spent time at uh, Fisk University and lived in Florida the rest of my life. I don't know. The name sounds so familiar that I know this guy, but years ago. He's losing it a little bit too, William, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I love you. Uh-huh. Um, well, I think that we've we've covered a lot in this show. We're kind of coming up to the end of our time. Um, I'd like to give each of you um, a chance to, uh, to say some closing remarks and anything you want to make sure we double down on and remind folks as we're uh, heading out tonight. The title of this I'd is like Black Lives Matter Under uh, Trump's rule. Black lives under Trump's rule. Yes. What I would say is that he will do whatever he can do that we allow him to do. He does not have, Trump has a very thin skin. The more people get out there and demonstrate against him and all of that, the more he's going to overreact. And I think he, had, he could possibly do something that's really stupid and get himself in trouble. We can all pray on that. 
April, do you want to say some closing remarks? Yes, thank you. Um, what I know in my heart to be true is that the power of love trumps the power of hate, uh, pun intended. And we, we really need to be steadfast in knowing that that hate has never evolved into something great. And so we need to continue to, to, to get out there and say, no, this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. And we need to be able to aim high and say, yes, federal government, you can't get away with this. Act Up did it, and I think we can learn from Act Up. Learn from Act Up. Yeah, while it was yeah. a group of, of mainly white men, we can still learn a lot from what they did during the Reagan era. So what I will do, um, recognizing that people are, are doing their part in the most amazing way, in the most necessary ways, I'm actually going to um, – get together with some other minister friends of mine and put compassionate listening out there, compassionate uh, whatever, whatever it looks like. It may even look like a, a, a letter campaign to the Trump administration that says less, uh, speaks less to fighting and more to, look, can we unite the, the nation? Um, so I am just trusting that you all are doing the amazing work that you're doing and that you will continue to do so. We need you, we need people doing work at every level, all the intensity that we have the muster. Thank you, April. And, uh, Darren, do you want to say something? Oh, yeah, real quick, and then I'm out. Um... <laughs> You know, we have to be diligent. We have to, you know, we have to be strong in, in forcing. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I would love for everything to just be um, But until people start to realize what we're dealing with here, with Trump and his supporters and just the foolishness that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, that we see every day when we wake up. There's a new situation that has taken place. As much as I wanted to go over peacefully and, and we find a way to resolve all of this, we will get no resolution until they hear what we're saying. Period. Period. And seriously, the work, the kids that I talk to, I work with a few police officers here in Dallas that um, go into these communities like RoboCop. They, you know. And when I say that to you, you can't go into these communities like RoboCop. When you go into the white communities like Barney Fife, you get a pet out the tree. You, you know, it's just different. And they're like, well, no, we don't handle business. Well, you're going to have to start handling it differently because those are the situations that are making things worse. And then that gets thrown out of abortion on the Internet. And, you know, white people will automatically gravitate, not all, will gravitate towards that type of story like they did the four teams in Chicago, but they forgot about the the football player who raped and kicked the kicker into another man's rectum. You know, that, that, that swept under the rug. That's what I'm saying. It's okay to be nice when, when, when it's a time to be nice. But 
they're not hearing what we're saying. And, right. you know, you, you just have to stand tall and, and stay diligent. And, you know, don't take no for an answer. Press the issue. I, I mean, I sit up at night because I'm getting so disgusted with what's going on. And then Donald Trump being the president-elect, and I can only imagine how much worse it's going to be, you know? So write letters, uh, you know, attack your local local and state-level congressmen and write letters to them, bug them, bug them, you know, bombard them with, with just, we want change. Um, and that's it. That's it. We just have to, we all have to come together, and if we're all going to survive this, that's what we have to do. I agree. Okay, uh, William Jackson, you have a closing remark for us, sir? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, all right, the, the prefix and the suffix to it will be Alex Jones. All right, now there's, there is a clear trajectory of people that played a very long game that actually crossed generations that led to what you're looking at right now with, um, with this Donald Trump in, this, uh, in, in, this, uh, in the head seat. With a uh, with a Supreme Court um, seat open, 103 lower court seats open, House, Senate, and over 30 states all controlled by this one particular party, right? And that they say it's the rise of the alt right, but the same people were the rise of the Tea Party, and those same people were the rise of the neocons, and those same people were the rise of the John Birch Society and the Libertarian Christians. So this is something that goes all the way back to the mid to late 50s, and they played a very long game, all right? And um, and if you want to know, like, now, people think that this guy is just a funny conspiracy guy that talks about the aliens and the lizard people. Those are like 60-second clips from a four-hour show that he does every day. Alex Jones is where a lot of this thought comes from. Keep in mind, um, Donald Trump's first serious sit-down interview during the Republican primary was on Alex Jones' show on InfoWars. Like right now, Alex Jones really is the leader of this particular political movement that you're seeing. All right, so the funny lizard man that screams and yells, he's mainstream. All right, so uh, so if you want to be in, be informed and you want to already know what their next move is going to be, go to those people. It's like, yeah, it's funny to laugh at little funny clips, but, like, that is a chief white supremacist that argues for capitalism really hardcore. Like, he's a very dangerous voice, and it's important to know what he's pushing to his audience because that is in the White House, the states, the courts, and the, uh, and, and the Congress right now. Whew. All right. WineCellarMedia.com. Hey, all right. And, um... Uh, William William Bibby. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I was struck by the caller that uh, the, the troll that called in wanting us to give Trump a chance, and I just wanted to say that he's on hold. That Trump he's has been on hold for the last ten minutes, and I'm not letting him in. <laughs> okay. I just want to say that the Trump has had a chance to prove he was anything other than what we knew him to be. He had a chance when he uh, appointed a white supremacist as his top advisor, Steve Bannon. He had a chance when he appointed a racist as his attorney general. He had a chance when he uh, appointed himself as the law and order president and wants to bring back stop and frisk. 
He had a chance when he advocated for voter suppression in, in uh, Pennsylvania and other places. He has shown us who he is, and I believe him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I will just say that um, it's very important that we continue our work, and um, I want to encourage everybody who's watching us on Facebook. We've had a really great audience tonight, thanks to this amazing panel, I'm sure. Um, oh, and our troll just finally gave up holding. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that it's uh, it's just so important that we come together, and I'm so grateful for each of you being a part of uh, what we're doing here at Together We Stand, and I am excited to continue learning from each of you um, and um, and moving forward. And I I hope that this video spreads uh, all over the place because you guys have imparted some incredible knowledge on, on myself and on everybody listening, and I really appreciate the diversity of... Um, the backgrounds that each of you had and um, and and all of the different sort of ways that you each individually are working to affect change in a society that, that is truly, truly in desperate need of it. So um, I want to thank you all for, for coming on, and I hope we can do this again sometime soon, and I wish you all a very good night. And, and just Thank for everybody you. who's listening, I will have uh, info up on our website um, by tomorrow uh, uh, of all of our callers uh, so that you can look them up and check out their amazing work um, in the future. So uh, blessings to each of you, and I will will look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you. And, Thank you. Um, Thank you. Um, this is the end of it. Everybody, um, together we stand. Uh, come and join us uh, on Facebook at TWS Revolution and Twitter at TWS Revolution. Same on Instagram. Our website is togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com. And you can call us if you need help with advocacy anywhere across the country. Um, we will help you you've been discriminated against, if you have an issue with police brutality, uh, we will do all we can. We will never charge you a dime. And uh, we hope that you follow us and uh, help us as we have a few major calls to action coming up over the next couple of weeks. And um, every single voice counts. Uh, we're going to need everybody on board. So please, please share this podcast. Uh, share this Facebook Live video, my handsome, handsome daddy. Thank you for joining me. And um, we will see you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific. Bye. Fun, huh? Yeah. That's William Spicy. I know him. I got to show He's the one that did me. Um, you see, he's texting me. He's the one that wrote that article on me. It always freezes on some crazy-ass frame. <laughs> the last one, it was like 
side view double chin cramp. Um, now, is it going to give me a chance to, it's not giving me a chance. Look, we, oh my God, dad, 555 views in an hour. And last week, I, it took me four days to get to 1,000. In one hour, 555 views. We're going to go viral. <laughs> oh, shit. Pretty awesome. And this dog here, what did you want? I'm on the phone, and you're up here trying to look Oh, my God, and her click, 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 click. That was fun, though, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's a good time. All of our family was on there. Hi, Uncle Johnny. Uh-huh. And Carol was on there when I said he, he, you were losing it. She's like, he's not losing it. 